0: Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Mumonkan case 28. Ryutan blows out the candle. Tokasan asked Ryutan about Zen far into the night. At last, Ryutan said, the night is late. Why don't you retire? Tokusan made his bows and lifted the blinds to withdraw, but he was met by darkness. Turning back to Ryutan, he said, it is dark outside. Ryutan lit a paper candle and handed it to him. Tokusan was about to take it when Ryutan blew it out. At this, all of a sudden, Tokusan went through a deep experience and made bows. Ryutan said, what sort of realization do you have? From now on, said Tokusan, I will not doubt the words of an old Osho who is renowned everywhere under the sun. The next day, Ryutan ascended the rostrum and said, I see a fellow among you. His fangs are like the sword tree. His mouth is like a blood ball. Strike him with a stick, and he won't turn his head to look at you some day or other he will climb the highest of the peaks and establish our way there doksaun brought his notes on the diamond sutra to the front of the hall pointed to them with a torch and said even though you have exhausted the abstruse doctrines it is like placing a hair in a vast space. Even though you have learned all the secrets of the world, it's like a drop of water dripped on the great ocean. And he burned all his notes. Then, making bows, he took his leave of his teacher. Muman's comment. Before Toksan crossed the barrier from his native place, his mind burned and his mouth uttered bitterness. He went southward, intending to stamp out the doctrines of special transmission outside the sutras. When he reached the road to Reishu, he asked an old woman to let him have lunch to Refresh the mind. Your worship, what sort of literature do you carry in your pack? The old woman asked. Commentaries on the Diamond Sutra, replied Tok The old woman said, I hear it is said in that sutra, the past mind cannot be held the present mind cannot be held. The future mind cannot be held. Now I'd like to ask you, what mind are you going to have refreshed? At this question, Tok was dumbfounded. However, he did not remain inert under her words, but asked do you know of any good teacher around here? The old woman said, five miles from here, you will find Ryutan Osho. Coming to Ryutan, Tokusan got the worst of it. His former words were inconsistent with his later ones. As for Ryutan, He seemed to have lost all sense of shame in his compassion toward his son. Finding a bit of live coal in the other, enough to start a fire, he hurriedly poured on muddy water to annihilate everything at once. A little cool reflection tells us it was all a farce. Muman's verse. Hearing the name cannot surpass seeing the face. Seeing the face cannot surpass hearing the name. He may have saved his nose, but alas, he lost his eyes. This is the most unusual rihatsu session that I've ever taken part in, and I chose this koan partly because of Tokusan's relationship with the Diamond Sutra. You uh, know, the Diamond Sutra chanting is. Such a strong and wonderful feature of Rahatsu session at Tagusatsu Monastery. And something which I'm sure that most of the people here who have done Rahatsu at Dagosatsu are are missing. The daily chanting. The Translation read aloud. And going over the entire sutra over the course of the week is always uh, a wonderful part of the Rahatsu session experience. Tokusan was a scholar. Before he became a monk, before he became a teacher. And his specialty was the Diamond Sutra. He was known in his part of the world, which was the northern part of China, for his ability to expound on the Diamond Sutra, citing many learned commentaries and he wrote his own commentary, which of course he considered the finest exposition of the Diamond Sutra. He was heavily invested in this particular sutra and in the sutra tradition in general. He was young, of course, dates aren't supplied in these koan stories, but one can imagine him, perhaps in his 20s, certainly no older than 30, full of his own learning. quite proud of his accomplishments. And like many people, especially many young people, he was very passionate about his religious faith. And when he heard of this Zen sect down in the South, that believed in a transmission outside the sutras, not depending on words and letters. Of course, that was a challenge to somebody who was so heavily invested in those words and letters. And so he made it his business to travel down south and stamp out this heretical sect. How exactly he was going to do that, uh, I don't know. But that was his goal. He was going to defeat these upstarts and rout them. And as it turns out, he never even made it to a temple before he himself was routed. He stopped by a roadside, having walked many miles, having worked up an appetite. And asked for a snack. And here there's a, a play of words in Chinese. Apparently, the word for a snack is tian which has the word shen in, which is the word for mind. And so he was literally asking to refresh the mind with this little bit of food. And he perhaps wasn't paying very much attention to the old woman who was serving him. You know, you go to a diner and the waitress brings you a cup of coffee and perhaps you're tired, perhaps you've been traveling a long time and you barely raise your eyes up to pay attention to this woman, usually, who brings you your coffee. And of course, in a patriarchal society which is pretty much every society that has ever existed, but certainly was the case in Tang Dynasty China, women were not really given much thought to begin with. They were there, they were there to serve, but not to challenge and yet this old woman was a feisty one she looked at this young scholar and somehow sized him up immediately She could see his pride. Perhaps she could sense his arrogance. Perhaps she was a bit more educated than most people of her day, and she looked into his sack and could actually read the title of the scroll that he was carrying. And so, feigning innocence, she asked the pointed question, what do you happen to have in that sack of yours? Well, I have commentaries on uh, the Diamond Sutra, including my own. Hmm. Ah, wow, yes, I've heard of the Diamond Sutra. Doesn't it say in there, past mind can't be held? Present mind can't be held? Future mind can't be held. So tell me, with what mind are you going to take this refreshment? An unexpected attack, a surprise, and Tuxan is completely blindsided. All his study, all his writing, all his Theoretical exposition does him no good in this moment. He is speechless. But to his credit, rather than getting angry and berating the old woman for wasting his time with silly questions, which is how women are often treated, even today, and certainly were treated in the past. He recognizes his predicament. And perhaps he doesn't exactly bow down to the woman's wisdom and accept that she has taught him something important. But he has enough presence of mind to ask, do you know a good teacher around here? His arrogance has been punctured and humility begins to flower. Do you know a good teacher around here? The old woman recommends Ryutan Osho, who lives just down the road. Typical of koans, there's so much that is left out. The koan begins not with this story of the encounter between this religious fanatic, Tokusan, who has journeyed down south to stamp out heresy, but begins rather with Tokusan as the student Of Ryutan. And we don't know, based on what is written, whether this occurred the same day that he had this encounter with the woman, or perhaps he had already been a student of Ryutan's for some time had established some intimacy with Yuton, had observed his way of being, his manner of teaching, had already had a strong foundation in the mechanics of Zen. I prefer to think that it occurred on the same day as the experience at this roadside refreshment stand. That Tuck-san, having had his head handed to him by this old woman, is in a peculiarly receptive condition, having had all of his certainties upended, being in a humble frame of mind. And so he goes to Ryutan. And Ryutan greets him with warmth and concern, compassion, bringing him into his hut. His home, answering question after question after question, explaining everything that he can, and finally, late into the night. He tells Tuk-san, It's getting late. Why don't you retire? Why don't you go to bed? Perhaps Tuk-san hasn't even noticed that it's gotten dark outside. He's been so absorbed in the question and answer, the give and take. And he looks outside and says, it's dark out there. And Yutan kindly hands him a paper candle. And just as Tokusan is about to take it, He extinguishes it, leaving Tokusan completely in the dark. This being completely in the dark. It's such an important moment in awakening. It doesn't have to be physical darkness as it is in this story. It can be the darkness of not being able to move forward or backwards. The darkness of being completely at sea and completely lost can be the darkness of grief, can be the darkness of anxiety and concern. It can be the darkness of pain, physical pain, that completely takes over one's mind and body and shatters it. So many, many things which we might consider trials, we may look at negatively can be exactly the darkness that we need to break our preconceptions, to break our certainty, to leave us completely bereft. bereft of all of our beliefs. Tokusan came with all his beliefs, all of his fanaticism, all of his certainty, and had that cracked open by the old woman at the roadside refreshment stand. I'm coming to Ryutan bearing that open wound. Ryutan nourished him Just enough with questions and answers, and perhaps tuk San thought that he was beginning to understand something, beginning to have some sense of what this Zen stuff was all about. And then as if to give the perfect example of the transmission outside words and scriptures, Ryutan (laughs) extinguished that light that Ryutan was building. and Ryutan was left blinded. The story has parallels with the story of St. Paul, at that time known as Saul, who traveled in Palestine, a well-respected figure in the Jewish community, a citizen of Rome, which was rare for Jews at that time, an important figure, well-respected who was traveling about persecuting the early Christians until one day on the road to Damascus, he had a vision and was blinded and remained blind for three days. And here Tuk-san has his vision snatched away. <laughs> and just as Paul's blindness was accompanied by a conversion and a sudden awakening to a different reality, Tatoksan in his blindness is suddenly awakened. And the Diamond Sutra becomes just an ornament, a menu, not the food that he wants. Ryutan sees this immediately. He can tell right away something's happened. And he asks Tokusan about it. And Tuk who had so many questions and so many doubts, replies very simply, I'll no longer question the words of the venerable Osho. All of his doubts are blown out, just as Ryutan blew out the candle. It's a nice story. It's a very nice story. But what happens next is perhaps the more important part of the story. The next day. Yutan addresses the assembly. He says, I see a fellow among you. His fangs are like the sword tree. His mouth is like a blood bowl. Strike him with a stick and he won't turn his head to look at you. Of all of the strange descriptions that Zen masters have used, this has got to be one of the strangest. It sounds like he's talking about a vampire or a zombie or a vampire zombie. Fangs and blood. And if you hit him with a stick, he won't even look at you. What is he, dead? He won't look at you you hit him with a stick? It doesn't sound highly complimentary. His fangs are like the sword tree. His mouth is like the blood bowl. And it's hard to tell what Ryutan is seeing in him exactly. Is he commenting on Tokusan's fiery nature this young fanatic who was ready to stamp out the Zen sect? Is he talking about Tokusan's otherworldliness? It's a hard, hard, Expression Is he somehow playing the Zen game of turning words upside down so that somebody whose great compassion? will help so many people is depicted as some sort of monster. But finally, he says, someday or other, he will climb the highest of the peaks and establish our way there. So there's no doubt that he is recognizing Tuk San as a great spirit, a great teacher, potentially. But there's also no doubt that Toksan at this point has not entirely abandoned that spirit of fanaticism that he had. He takes out all of his commentaries. He takes out the Diamond Sutra and all that he has written and others have written about the Diamond Sutra and he spills it out on the ground in front of him. And he sets it on fire. Burning books as great fanatics have throughout the centuries. And he says, even though you have exhausted the abstruse doctrines, it is like placing a hair in a vast space. Even though you have learned all the secrets of the world, it is like a drop of water. Dropped on the great ocean, and then he burned all his notes and bowing to his teacher, he left. It's an amazing scene. Tokusan was entirely overcome by his experience, his enlightenment. Just as Hakuin in Shinge Roshi's talk yesterday, when Hakuin had his first enlightenment experience and was so overcome with it That he developed this tremendous spiritual pride. No one has had an enlightenment like this in all of time. The common problem that follows uh, a great awakening experience. you think that all the riddles of the world have been solved Doku-san left but to his benefit and to his credit he came back eventually and apparently studied with ryutan another 30 years refining his understanding, refining his practice, deepening his heart, opening his mind, and taught many, many people, including Seppo and Ganto, who we have seen in many other koans. And in his old age, Tokusan developed a mellow demeanor. There's the story of. Seppo and Tokusan shall read for you. One day, tuk went down toward the dining room, holding his bowls. Seppo met him and asked, where are you off to with your balls? And the bell hasn't rung, and the drum has not sounded. Tuk-san turned and went back to his room. Seppo mentioned this to Ganto, who remarked, Tuk-san is renowned, but he does not know the last word. Tuk-san heard about this remark and sent his attendant to fetch Kanto. You do not approve of me, he asked. Kanto whispered his meaning. Tuk-san said nothing at the time, but the next day he ascended the rostrum and behold, He was very different from usual. Ganto, going toward the front of the hall, clapped his hands and laughed loudly saying, congratulations, our old man has got hold of the last word. From now on, nobody in this whole world can outdo him. Another wonderful story which is worthy of its own commentary. But here we see the mature functioning of the Zen master acting in the most natural way possible and cooperating with his student Ganto when Ganto has his own idea about how to awaken his brother Seppo. Toksan. Tokusan Senkan. Like many of the masters who are featured in the Muman Khan and the Hekikan Roku, Toksan lived during the Tang dynasty in China. He had a long life born in 780 and dying in 865. He had many successors. And through him, the Yunmen school of Zen developed, the Uman school. He was a contemporary of Joshu, Joshu was born two years earlier than him, but died 30 years later at a very ripe old age. Tokusan is quoted as saying, only When you have no thing in your mind and no mind in things, are you vacant and spiritual, empty and marvelous? That seems to me to be a description of that condition that he had when that light, that candle was blown out. Having gone from having so much in his mind, all of the commentaries, all of the Explanations of what can't be explained, all his words, and suddenly extinguished, entirely extinguished. as Muman says. Butan finding a bit of live coal in Toksan, enough to start a fire. He hurriedly poured on muddy water to annihilate everything at once. Just completely annihilating all concepts. tea is very refreshing, refreshing the mind. Part of the problem with um, doing a rahatsu session at home is that we don't have as much opportunity to really exhaust ourselves, the rigors of getting up at three or 3.30 in the morning and staying up until 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Of course, you can do that on your own if you have tremendous self-will but I have my doubts as to how many people are actually doing that right now. The grueling schedule of Rahatsu, the hour after hour and the tremendous physical difficulty of the session, serves in its own way as Ryutan blowing out the candle. The exertion, the relentlessness of it, until at last, whatever thought you may have had is just dissolved in a puddle of pain and fatigue and I just can't anymore, I just can't. And that I think is what I miss in this Zoom Rahatsu and which I hope By next year, this time, we may be able to meet in person and go through those rigors together. That extremis that you experience in Rahatsu session. the total exhaustion, the total surrender. Somehow, starting at 6 o'clock in the morning and finishing at 10 at night and having hours free between Breakfast and sitting, and lunch and sitting, and dinner and sitting. The opportunity to have that thing inside us that we hold on to so carefully whether it's our self-image, our pride, our opinions, our thoughts, it's much harder to extinguish all of that without this great, great effort, the extremis, the fatigue, the going beyond what you think you're capable of. To the degree that you can do extra sitting at night, and please do that, to the degree that you can keep silence during the day. And for some people, it's easier than others. Please do that. This Rahatsu session is such a precious experience. And this Rahatsa session is unlike any that we have done before. Still very precious. The opportunity to come together, to share our effort, to share our mind, to sit long and get tired through the wonders of modern technology is something that we can all be very grateful for, the opportunity to meet with you in dharma interviews or doksan for our roshis. very, very precious, so wonderful. And yet, somehow, not the rahatsu we're accustomed to. And so please, to the degree that you can take advantage of this time, Push yourselves a little harder. As Hawkween says in his exhortations, exert yourself, exhaust yourself. And maybe somehow Ryutan will extinguish your candle. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.